You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a podcast offered in partnership with Missio Alliance. Each episode, we discuss internal and relational pressures, how they block effective leadership, and how we can move through them to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Welcome to the episode, folks. And uh, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, we are now part of the Missio Alliance channel of podcasts. It's been a great partnership for us. And uh, before we get to the guest, I would just like to highlight a couple of the other great podcasts that are on the Missio Alliance. These are podcasts that I've been listening to before uh, we partner with Missio. But the first one I want to mention is the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. The hosts, JR and Doug, great guys, uh, great interviews, and great guests. I'll put a link in my show notes to one of my favorite episodes of theirs, which is when they featured a guy named Dave Binderwald. And he spoke about curiosity, the importance of play, uh, just a great episode. So I'll put a link to that if you want to check it out. Also, a podcasting veteran, Shane Blackshear, he hosts the Seminary Dropout podcast and has for years. Shane's a great interviewer. I've been listening to his podcast for years. And uh, he had an episode with Latasha Morrison on how the church is sometimes the hardest place for people of color. I think a vital podcast for anyone to listen to. So I'll, I'll stick a link in the show notes to that one as well. Also, before we get to our guest, just a reminder that uh, in March 10th and 11th, right here in beautiful Colorado, I'm hosting a two-day interactive workshop on managing leadership anxiety. The simple fact is listening to a podcast is a great beginning. Reading a book can be helpful, but if you really want to experience profound transformation, you have to practice and you have to put time into it. It's not easy, but it is simple. Transformation really does happen when you invest significant in it, like significant money, significant time. Sometimes what you have to invest is significant bravery. And so this two-day interactive workshop is really about getting you in a room with other people. You'll be at a round table with five or six other people and helping you try on some principles as we cover uh, all manner of things that we're discussing on this show. So we'll be giving you, for example, the 20 sources of universal anxiety. We'll be helping you identify your own unique internal triggers. We'll be teaching you how to build and facilitate a genogram so you can understand your family history and how it impacts you. I'll also be teaching you one of the most powerful tools I learned as a hospital chaplain, which was a verbatim. How do you actually type up like an essay an encounter you had where you didn't know what to do or where you were anxious? And how do you and your friends process it in a way that you can show up different next time? Listen, there's so many conferences nowadays. This isn't a conference. This is an interactive workshop. And I can assure you uh, there's nothing else like this. It's it's a unique two-day experience. So ticket prices are going up in December, December 23rd. They'll go up. So you can go to stevecuswords.com for the best rates right now. Meanwhile, today's guest is Robbie C. And as I told Robbie before we hit record, I, I was so excited to have Robbie on the show because he's our first worship leader. And I actually think for those of you who are worship leaders in the church, you have unique pressures that the rest of us don't face. So I was really keen to ask Robbie about that. Uh, Robbie C., of course, is the founder and the leader of the Robbie C. Band. They have about two decades of ministry and albums under their belt. I was also very interested in talking to Robbie because not only is he a worship leader, he's also a professional artist. He's a songwriter and a craftsman. And he's also a pastor. And not only is Robbie a pastor, he comes from generations of pastors. So he knows what it is like to lead the local church. And I think he's an essential voice 
for all of us actually, whether you're a worship leader or not, whether you're interested in music or not. The last thing I'll say about Robbie is I am personally a fan of his music. I love Robbie's voice. I love his songwriting. As a musician myself, I love the tones of his album. I, I just I can listen to his music again and again. And uh, the, the last thing I'll say about Robbie that may sound really odd is in my opinion, there are just certain uh, artists that are almost uncoverable. And for me, Patty Griffin is one of those, a very, very difficult artist to cover her songs. Uh, if, you, if you want uh, your love for American Idol or The Voice to be killed, just listen to someone attempt a Patty Griffin song. That'll do it for you. But Robbie actually tackled her, I think, iconic song, Up to the Mountain, and he killed it. It was amazing. He did an incredible job with that. So I've always been a big fan of his music and his approach. I was grateful to be able to talk to Robbie about pastoring, worship leading, songwriting. And I just began by asking Robbie if he could share with us just some of the unique areas of pressures that worship leaders face nowadays. It is, it is not a role on a church staff that I believe is more important. Um, I don't think there's a case for that, but I do think that it has complexities that other roles might not have. And so, you know, we could, we could chat for a while about some of those, but just for example, I mean, um, when you're talking about worship, I mean, I think you and I, we don't really have to go too far into the, the idea that we don't believe uh, worship is, is just uh, constrained or refined, uh, confined to music. You know, I mean, worship is, is much broader. It is our life response. But when you're talking about musical worship, music is an art form. And, and music is subjective, as is painting and as is dance and all the art forms that we would enjoy. It's subjective. So you, I would imagine if you and I started to compare our record collections, there'd be records you really love that I might not, and then vice versa, and it's subjective. And so, I mean, just one of the immediate challenges on the surface is that um, a lot of us don't always love the same music, and that's true even in the Sunday morning gathering. And that's a challenge. Um, and so what you consider... Man, that was great. Somebody else may say, "No, I, I don't. I don't agree with that." And so that's just that's just a challenge because clearly we're not coming to Sunday morning to, um, you know, somehow be Simon Cowell and rate what we've experienced. At the same time, art is to be enjoyed. It's supposed to inspire. I think it's actually supposed to prod and challenge us. And so there is subjectivity there that you just can't get away from. Um, let me just let me camp out there for a second, if you don't mind, because. Uh, my friend Russell Moore, what he would say is it's that subjectivity that actually can contribute uh, to health in the body. So what, what he's saying is when you come to the Sunday morning gathering and there are songs that you don't particularly like, songs or even styles of music, you go, man, this is not really my thing. Uh, rather than trying to find somewhere that just feeds your desires and the things that you like, Celebrate the fact that somebody in the room is connecting with that style and with that song. And if that's not happening, if everyone in the room is, is, is uh, thrilled about the song and the style, then you probably have a homogenous gathering. And I don't, we don't think that's biblical. And that really challenged me when I heard him unpack that. In other words, if I come on a Sunday morning and I just go, man, I'm really into the full band modern thing. And, and they're, they're singing a hymn from 200 years ago. That's not my thing. What I need to do is rather than sulk in the fact that I'm not getting fed what I enjoy, celebrate the fact that somebody in the room is connecting with that hymn. And when he takes it a step further and he just says, you know, so many of us are longing 
for a church that reflects the church that we see in Revelation, one that's filled with you know every tongue and every tribe. That means there's uh, that's got to be reflected in our music. So I know that's a deep dive into what your question was, but I think just one of the challenges immediately is subjectivity, and I think we we could flip that and say that could actually be a positive if we teach our people that you will not always enjoy what you hear, and so that subjective you it, you will it, we will disappoint you in style or song, but recognize the fact that you're a part of a much broader body, and there's so many of us that come from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different communities and different experiences. And so celebrate the fact that somebody else is engaging in that. And so, you know, what's a challenge? Well, that's one of them. I mean, just navigating the art form of music, I think, is a challenge. I think there's others. I don't want to take up your whole podcast with that. I think think that's that's a great one, especially as people's taste in in the modern age. We kind of all get to get what we want Monday through Friday. So that's I love how you're challenging us on the almost the subversive discipleship aspect of submitting your preference, you know, for the sake of another or for the sake of the kingdom. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, Dr. Moore, and Russell Moore is his name, he's the one that really challenged us on that. And I say us, a group of, of worship leaders and, and, and pastors. And I do, I do think that he, he framed it like this. So like when I was driving home from Dallas last right. night, I'm able to put on the playlist that I want that's going to get me from Dallas to Houston. You know, so listening, here, here's what I'd love to have. And I, I, I want a little bit of Coltrane and I want a little bit of Miles Davis and I put in some uh, put in some Coldplay and some modern music, and I want I get to mix that up. And what Dr. Moore is saying is, enjoy the fact that someone has curated a yeah. quote unquote playlist for our gatherings that aren't just tuned to what you enjoy. And I, I want to reiterate the point, though, Steve, because I think what he, what what really hit me is if we really do uh, just try to appease a, a, a small group of people or a certain group of people. We really won't end up with a, with a church that reflects our communities. And I live in the most diverse city in the United States, Houston, Texas. And I want my church to continue to strive to reflect that community. And, it, and music is a part of that. And so that is a major challenge for us as worship leaders. And as, yeah, thanks. And yeah, really helpful. Help Let's talk about this curated experience. I, I think one of the biggest challenges of anybody who is leading something from a stage in a church is is no matter what kind of week you've had, no matter what you're carrying as you walk out to lead, you have to lead. And you can't get out in front of the congregation and say, hey, if you knew the kind of week I had, I think you would all understand that what's about. Like in my early preaching, <laughs> I found I struggled with that vulnerability. I struggled to walk out and not apologize before the sermon and say, hey, it's not going to be very good. Um Have you developed some tools in your own life to help you be fully present to leading worship regardless of what you're carrying or what's got a grip on you? Does that make sense? Man, it makes sense. I mean, again, you know, I may say this a few times. I really, I appreciate that question because that's, I mean, you know, I I would love some more tools. (laughs) I I don't know. I've done this for a long, long time, maybe 20, 20 plus years. And, and I think we're still trying to, to navigate what is the right way to approach that. Uh, the, the couple things that hit me, number one, I think less of a tool and just more of a, a, a mindset is that, and I know this is obvious, but it's just that gathering of people, it's just not contingent on me. And it's just not contingent on whether or not I have 
the right formula that morning. Now, am I suggesting that you don't, you know, rehearse and prepare and, and, and develop those tools? Of course not. I and mean, we could dive into that. And I would never suggest that. My, do I think that somehow diminishes my role? No, I don't. And do I think that scripture places a, um, a high priority on those who lead, especially those who are going to preach the gospel? And I would say even sing the gospel. Yeah, we're held to a higher standard. So it's not to diminish that. I do think that sometimes I can get caught up in how do I curate this in a way that is somehow going to do what only God can do? And I've done this long enough where I've been reminded that, I, you know, succeed or fail, God's going to do what he wants to do. So just the immediate answer is, man, that's some pressure get, gets taken off. Um, but then I would also just look to the Psalms. Uh, and I would look to the Psalms as a, as a, as a roadmap and as a, you know, for, for lack of a better term, maybe just a, a uh, permission slip to lead the body through all areas of life because the Psalms have highs and the Psalms have lows and the Psalms have laments and they have Psalms of joy and celebration. And so I look to the Psalms and go, man, if, if, if that is our hymnal, I mean, the Psalms really serve as kind of a, a hymn book in the middle of scriptures. Well, then I should take the cue from the Psalms and be able to lead our people. And, um, and I would just add one thing. I mean, one of the tools, if you will, because I think that's what the, the word that you used, is just do I have my finger on the, on the pulse of the, the group of people that I'm leading? And if I know them and they know me, then I, I do know what kind of response is needed. And so, you know, if we've had a death in the family, I mean the church family, I don't need to ignore that doesn't mean that every song needs to be about death but it does need to mean that it does mean that we should we should lament together and 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 I know in times of celebration I need to make sure we're we're responding to God with great joy so those are a few of the you know tools if you will that you begin to develop and have a sense of yeah that's how to really lead good and how to lead effectively. I think related to that Robbie is is you don't lead by yourself most of the time you're you have a band or a community you're leading with which means that Every individual in that band is carrying something or is in the grip of something. Do you, what do you do as a leader to help your band be ready, if, if anything? Well, that's an interesting concept, by the way, just that it would be contagious or at least would have influence over others, I think is, is what you're getting at. And I mean, as you would imagine, uh, musicians and artists. I mean, I think that maybe even uh, th- th- they're a little more hypersensitive to that. And, yeah, I mean, uh, do we do we? Is this the podcast to talk specifically about bass players? Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> my my bass player has been with me for eighteen years, so uh, I have nothing but just uh, love and appreciation, and I have I have no interest in finding another. Um, no, I mean I. It, I'm just giving thought to that, Steve, because um, I've never really, I've never really framed it in in that way. But I, I, yeah, I, I think any of us who are, well, let me put it like this: you know, when especially those who are traveling together, I know that you know a lot of people listening that that may not apply. So you're you're, you're gathering with musicians or artists on a, a weekly basis, but you know, I've also been in a, a group of musicians that have traveled together and. You know, we've, you know, we can't always afford three hotel rooms, so we're cramming in one hotel room or whatever. So we're, it's close proximity, and I do think we have great influence on one another, that this idea of anxiety and, and the pressures that we're, we're facing. Musicians and artists tend to wear that on their 
sleeve. And I don't know if that's more than, you know, uh, others. I wouldn't, I don't have enough uh, knowledge or research of that, but it does, it does seem like that. Um, they, they tend to be people who are going to be more, more vulnerable. And, and so maybe that's heightened. And um, man, I, I would just say, honestly, I don't know all of the answers for that, except to say that in the seasons where we've truly been connected, we're truly living life together, and there's more to our connection than that music, um, we find ourselves in a place of health. So um, my, my drummer Dave has been with me for nearly a decade, and we both love baseball, and so it's great for us to talk about baseball and not music, because there's connection, there's, there's interaction there that is is beyond just um, the music that is such a predominant part of our lives. But man, I see that. So, you know, I don't have all the answers for that or know exactly always what to do with that, except to say, man, to live in community with them is something beyond just uh, what we're doing on a stage. Yeah, I think one of the, your unique contributions, Robbie, is um, particularly with your consulting work that you also do, you have a tremendous experience and background in worship leading, but you also have a significant foot in the lead pastor role. Your brother's a lead pastor. You come from a pastoring family. You're in an organization that coaches lead pastors. What what would you say that would be helpful for a lead pastor to know about the burden that the worship leader carries on staff? Well, I'd love to take a minute just to talk about some of the complexities of that role that sometimes a lead pastor may not always see. And so i I'll, I'll do this quickly, great. but I, I've always tried to frame it, at least looking back on my own experience and talking to so many leaders, uh, this role really has you know, three, different, uh, three different areas of emphasis. One is music. That one's you know, fairly obvious. Um, but it's not just what happens on a stage. So much of that happens off a stage as you prepare and as you're leading a band and, and through a rehearsal and all the communication that goes with that, speaking the language of musicians, knowing how to navigate the personalities of musicians. I mean, come on, that's a full-time job just in, in and of itself. So the music piece is one. The second is pastoral. And um, depending on the church and depending on the, the context, um, that may have greater emphasis over another context, but it's pastoral and you're shepherding a group of people. I think you do that in a microphone. I think you also do that off a of stage. And so... You know, a lot of our leaders that we interact with, they've got a group of 40 or 50 people that they may be interacting with because they have so many volunteers. And so, uh, you know, when one of one of those team members or one of their spouses is in the hospital, I mean, there's a good chance they're calling this leader. That may be their first phone call. They're shepherding a group of people in a pastoral way, and they have to be prepared for that. A lot of times they're they're not prepared for that, and they haven't had their proper training for that. Or maybe the pastor really hasn't helped them uh, put priority on that. And so it's so much priority on music. So there's the music side, there's the pastoral side, and then what I would call just the development piece. And it's this idea that, you know, I may have talent, but that only gets our ministry so far. And so I have to look around and recognize the gifting and the talent in, in others and see them raised up as leaders. And also, not just see them raised up and know how to raise them up, know how to develop them, but also celebrate that fact. And, uh, and take that spotlight that typically is on my position and begin to spread that around. And uh, it's a side idea that I'm developing others. I would also just say that discipleship falls in a couple of those categories. So I'm helping disciple people. That's pastoral. It's also, it's also develop, uh, the idea that I'm developing 
uh, my team. Because of that, that's a complex combination. And the reason why I, I think it's increasingly complex is because every church has different priorities. And so, you know, your church may take a, a couple of those areas and elevate the priority there. My church may elevate these two over here. And a leader is constantly trying to navigate, how can I serve well in all of these areas? And I want to just say, lastly, Steve, I think if you and I were having this conversation 12, 13 years ago, I'm not sure those three areas would be quite as clear as they are today. I think for the most part, we would talk about music and maybe pastoral, but worship pastor, even 12 years ago, was not a common phrase. Worship director, worship leader, the idea that this person was pastoring and shepherding, and then development really wasn't on the radar in the way that it it is today. And so... um, you know, when I'm dealing with pastors, I, I'm, I'm saying, number one, are you understanding the role? Number two, is that role uh, clarified in your job description and the way that you communicate expectations on them? And, um, and then number three, is there some additional training and just support that that leader might need in order to grow in some of those areas that they're not as strong in? It's a complex role. It's not rocket science. It doesn't mean it's the most important job on your staff. It does mean that it brings some... Uh, just some challenges that that maybe even as I mentioned weren't around a decade ago, and uh, and so we try to walk with. And by the way, walking with pastors is just as important as walking with worship pastors. You know. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you lay out the 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 history of how it's become more complex because I, I feel the same way about lead pastoring. When I went, I was trained twenty five to thirty years ago. And it's, you know, the role I have now is not the role I was trained for, except for the handling of scripture and things like that. It's interesting to hear you share that same progression that the role of a worship leader in the church or a worship pastor has gotten significantly more complex. You know, and and this may be just my opinion. You know, I I hadn't written about this much, but one, one of the observations I would also have, if you're looking back over the last, let's say, 15 years, Steve, um, 15 to 20 years, um, one of the things that you see is uh, in in that time, so you know, early 2000s, maybe a little bit earlier, the church was really trying to catch up in the areas of excellence because when you walked into a church, it was subpar at best in terms of the artistry that was coming off the stage. It was subpar at best in most cases. Again, this is a generalization, but subpar at best in, in terms of, of uh, audio-video, and uh, just the, the, the way that, that the, the art form is presented. And so churches were constantly trying to catch up. That was such a point of emphasis um, as I was beginning to lead worship. I would say, and again, generalizing here, I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure there are many exceptions, but generally speaking, the church has done a decent job catching up in that. So when you walk into most churches of, of, a, of a larger size, the musicians are very, very good and uh, the, the PA that you're hearing the music through is is um, is of high quality, and I would say you can make the case that in terms of excellence, the church has made a lot of progress in, in kind of hitting a a, a a standard. I would say though that the past two generations aren't necessarily going. Man, I just wish the music in my church was better. Some might, but I, I think generally speaking, a lot of them are not necessarily saying that. They're saying. I want to experience something that I believe. In other words, I want to know that they mean 
what they're saying. So words like authenticity, sincerity, um, just a, a transparency, those words start to, to take precedent over excellent, um, amazing, sounds great. That's an interesting shift. I don't think one negates the other, but I think I'm hearing that more and more as I'm in, in interacting, especially with college students, that, you know what, sounds great. I'm not sure I buy it. And uh, that's, that's a, that's a wake-up call for me and I think for other leaders and leaders that I get to, to walk alongside is, is um, hey, it's not enough just to be prepared for Sunday morning. you got to mean it. passionate about context. And so, and and let let me just, let me unpack this for a minute. You know, if there are 10,000 people that are gathering, there just is a certain level of delivery of content that's got to happen. You don't deliver content in the same way to 10,000 that you would to 300. And by delivery, I just mean the presentation, the way, the way that we gather, the, the, the size, the scale, the scope, the, the musicians, the, you know, whatever. It's just not the same. So I would hesitate to say that I know exactly what should and shouldn't be. I don't know if you hear my dog. My dog's coming in. I wish, Abby, you want to be on the, on the show? Well, you can't see her, Steve. She's cute. Though. Yeah. Let's come on. We got to get the dog on there. There we go. That's what the people oh, need goodness, to see. She is cute. Yeah, the people need to see dogs. Is that a, a it got a little fuzzy. Is that an English bulldog? I couldn't quite make well, out. So she she ran off. No, she's half Australian okay. Shepherd and half um, who knows. All right, she's just you're a good man, Australian Shepherd. She's just cute, uh, but she she the, the half of whatever else means that she has a long tail. So people go, well, that's not Australian Shepherd. I don't want to get into that. She's half. All right, that's she's right. Half. Yeah, don't don't be don't she's be critiquing. That's exactly my dog. right. She's cute, Steve. <laughs> that's my, my my point is though, you know. Uh, Context, though, when, the reason I'm passionate about this because I, I meet a lot of pastors who actually do feel the pressure of delivering content in a way to their church of five, six hundred, even a thousand that compares or takes its cues from a church that delivers content to thousands and thousands of people. And, and I think the problem is, number word. one, you can't afford it. Number two, you don't have the musicians to do that. Number three, that may not be who your people are. And so d- don't get me wrong. Uh, I go to a church. I go to a small church now. I go to a church, of, and I say small, it's four or 500 people. This is not a mega church. And, you know, occasionally we sing songs from churches around the world that have thousands and thousands of people who are contributing great music to the global church. But that's not always the best thing for my context, not only in style, but also in substance or, 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 the, or the, uh, the actual content of the music. And so I get excited about talking with our pastors. What is, what's, what's our context? What is, what's our liturgy? And I don't think pastors, I, I think they want to, Steve. I, I, I don't think that that's something they want to ignore. I think they feel the pressure, the, the weight of just needing to keep 
up in ter- and again going back to this excellence i also think that they sundays come uh every week by the way i don't know if you knew that yeah yeah so so all of us just feel like man we're kind of stuck in this secular we're just we're man we're we are our wheels are spinning just to get to the next sunday and so who has time to stop and actually unpack what our liturgy and our context should look like. So I'm passionate about that. I want to help pastors do that. I do think it takes some weight and pressure off. And then lastly, to your point, I do think there's probably some funds that we might not spend in those ways um, if we were able to just maybe take a step back and look at our own context. Your comment about the Sunday treadmill, um, that was where I wanted to take the second question, is you're a songwriter, you, you're an artist, who and, and songwriting space in my mind must uh, compete with treadmill space. The the logistics of getting it done in time for the event. I, I know I struggle with that as a preacher, carving out creative space to create a sermon. Um, talk to us about how you manage that tension. Well, I think we've got a problem. I mean, I think I think we've all got a pretty big problem. And number one, the way I manage that tension is I, I just I've I have a I've quit my jobs a few times. <laughs> I mean, because um, I got stuck in that cycle, and the contributions that I felt like I needed or that God had gifted me to make to the church, whether it be my own local church or broader church, I wasn't able to make. But I think we've got a problem, Steve, and I'm glad you asked that because. Um, I think the reason why so many churches fall into, and again, you know, what I just mentioned about uh, context, it also goes to the idea of rep, uh, just replication and duplication. So, yeah. you know, what I really only have time for as I'm planning a service is to look around and go, I- I'll-, I'll do what they're doing. And there's amazing resources. I'm not suggesting that that's always a bad thing. Yeah. Um, King of Kings by Hillsong, that's a great song. And I think the world should be singing it. Okay. So, I'm not suggesting that we never look around and go, no, we, we should all be singing our own songs. No way. Um, the, the, the hymns of our faith that we go back generations, we should be singing those. I mean, so I enjoy the fact that churches around the globe will sing some of the same songs. What I'm suggesting is, though, um, because of the way that we put on these Sunday gatherings, our leaders and our songwriters, and specifically our artists, typically only have time to look around and replicate what somebody else has already done. And it's not that they don't want to. They really don't have the creative space to do that. And so I think, and I talked to a leader yesterday. By the way, I talk to leaders every day. And I love that. I love supporting them. But I'm concerned. I mean, I talked to a leader yesterday who said, I honestly had to ask him again, can you repeat that? Because I need to make sure I heard you right. He has taken off two Sundays a year for the last five years. Two Sundays. 50 Sundays. By the way, that, you know, Good Friday, that's Christmas Eve. Those are all added. Right. Those are bonus weeks. That's right. And I did not ask him because I didn't want to put him on the spot. But Steve, if I was to ask him, have you written at all? Do you feel like you've been able to just respond to God with, you know, all that's welling up in your heart? The chances are slim. And it's not because this guy's not a, a creative person and somebody who who would long to do that there's just no way that he's leading a team and by the way it's he's at a large church i mean there's just no way that he's got the bandwidth to contribute and so 
Man, I just tell you, I'm concerned, and I, I'm concerned for myself. I even thought about that this morning. I, I think even you know, even if we just said, okay, well, what's the answer? What are we going to do? Give our songwriters eight weeks off a year? By the way, yes. I mean, I re- I really do. I, so not all vacation. Don't go to the beach eight weeks. Right. But get adequate vacation time, and then get some space where you're just not the 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 weight of that Sunday morning gathering that's coming up is not on you, and encourage that that songwriter artist in your community to get away. By the way, I, I just need to come up to Colorado. That's where I need to get away. That's to. probably That's where, where God's I'm calling you. Yeah. Yeah. You probably <laughs> That's need to where come I'm to inspired. Us. Yeah. I'm in Houston, Texas. I'm not inspired here. Uh, but lastly, I, w- I would, I would say, um, you know, the, the other thing is the older that I've gotten, uh, the more kids that I, that we've, we have, we have five kids by the way. So, you know, the more kids we've got, the more uh, my schedule is pulled into different directions. I'm not sleeping, as much as I would like. And so what I used to be able to do when I was younger is do what I call vacation songwriting, which is to block off two weeks and say, the only thing in my life that I'm going to focus on is songwriting. Well, that's awesome. I mean, who doesn't want to do that, by the way? I mean, so, you know, send me to Europe for two weeks and let me write songs. The the problem is, you know, most of us just can't do that. And so to be a legitimate songwriter. And so if you ask me, are you a legitimate songwriter? Right now, I'm not. Because my idea of songwriting, I'm still looking for big chunks of time. Mm. And the disciplines of songwriting, you know, what I learned from Rich Mullins years ago was that songwriting really was about quilting pieces together. You talked about his grandma like quil- like, like right. quilting the, the, the blankets or whatever. Yeah. And the idea that you know, you are constantly in a in a state of of, uh, of 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 writing and imagining what a song could be, and you got these fragments, and you at some point come together and piece those together, rather than sit down in a ten hour block and write a whole song and feel so inspired. Now, if you get to do that, great. Um, but I think in response to to some of my concerns, my hope for me and for other songwriters is that we just develop new ways of writing new ways of putting our time and our schedule together that would allow that. I think, I, you know, when, when I'm interacting with worship pastors, and because I've been one, I mean, I, the same concerns apply to me. <laughs> so this is not like, hey, I've got all these concerns for others. I'm really, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking within as well. I mean, I think just one of, the concerns, one of the concerns I would have is that we communicate theology with our songs. Hopefully, hopefully we do a good job with that. But we may not have uh, a, a, an understanding and a depth uh, of of theology in our personal lives. I mean, let's just be real that, you know, a lot of us need to just spend more time reading the scriptures and saying, God, speak to me. And so worship pastors tend to um, communicate a lot of theology, but a lot of us haven't spent enough time really digging deep in our own walk with the Lord. So that's just concern. Number one, number two, um, one of the one of the deep concerns I, that I communicate to leaders all the time. I've been married 21 years. There is not a more beautiful and amazing woman on the planet than Elizabeth, and she has put up with what I've 
do and the craziness of, of, of you know, all of these things that we've discussed. But one of the problems is when you, uh, when, you, uh, for a, when, when you do something for a living that you love, subconsciously, you can place that above your wife. And you can place that above your kids. And I don't think we do that on purpose. But it's hard to put down your work when you love it. So, you know, my buddy who's an accountant, he's a really good accountant. He doesn't love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So when he walks in the door, Steve, he's, he's off the clock. And he's not checking email because he doesn't want to know who's asking him what about accounting. Um, I have a hard, I've always had a harder time putting that down. I love it. And so when I'm interacting with leaders, I'm trying to share that for my own life. And I'm saying, be careful because I know that it's a gift that you do something that you love. It really is a gift. I mean, are you kidding me? Is there a better job in the world? And I mean, honestly, I know we've talked about some of the challenges, but are you kidding me? We need to interact with musicians and develop and, and encourage the church and write, hopefully write. And I mean, Golly, who don't want to do that? Problem is, you can love it too much. And uh, we've seen a lot of marriages that will crash and burn because you just couldn't quite put it down. And at some point, your family's going to suffer for that. So that's a deep concern, both in theology and in your personal life with your family. We've got to be careful that this thing doesn't uh, escalate uh, mm. into, into the number right. one position. I think there's so much wisdom there, Robbie, because the way I've heard that answered before is people talking about how because the job is never done, it's hard to turn it off. But I love that you've come at it from just your enjoyment of it is why it's hard to turn it off. Yeah, but I'm sure both of those things are true. <laughs> so yeah. they go hand in hand. Yeah, right. right. They it. feed each other. You love it and it, there's always something to do. Yeah. Sure. Oh, Good. Um, unless there's anything more you want to say, I think we can move into our gauntlet. So this is a set of six questions I ask every guest, known as the gauntlet of leadership anxiety. I believe you will survive. <laughs> Are there wrong never. answers? Is it like no, a wrong? Never. Okay. You, there's no way you can go wrong. For you, Robbie, would you say anxiety first begins in a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut? Oh, my gosh. I'm literally petting my dog as you're asking me this, which is helping me right now because this is, this, is, this is making me nervous. Uh, th- this is interesting you're asking me these questions because um, if, if, if my wife was answering this, she would say that I don't show a lot of outward signs of anxiety. So I don't have, I don't have tight shoulders. I don't have... Uh, racing heart. I really don't have a lot of sun. That doesn't mean I don't have it. So I think one of your options was the spinning mind. Spinning mind. You believe you can worry your way to peace. I would definitely say that's probably me. That I'm, and that shows up to in, in, in most part in the, if I wake up, I don't wake up and just go right back to sleep. I immediately engage with, Whatever, I mean, it's almost like my mind just picked right back up. Uh, That's yep. right, good. Yep. That's a great answer. Yeah, you, when you wake up, you believe you can, um, that thinking harder is the best thing to do. 
That's exactly right. And, and, and because yeah. of that, it doesn't show up in my body. Now, my wife would say hers is all in her body. So shoulders are tight, uh-huh. you know, anxious uh-huh. would show up physically. For me, none of that. But it, yeah. you're, you're on to something because it doesn't, it doesn't discount what's, what's happening in my mind. That's good, man. Oh, that's great. Do I have that's to pay great. for this? This is, this is like, <laughs> this is as good as counseling. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it, every one of us have unique triggers, Robbie. Uh, for me, people pleasing, the need to be understood. If, if I feel like someone's misunderstanding me, I get all the clamped. Uh-huh. Uh, just give us one or two sources of anxiety in your life. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, the, the people pleasing thing I can relate to, but I, th- I, I want to say. And I'm sure there's some amazing, uh, there's probably a better way to say this, but let, let me just try to get it out. Um, I feel constantly like I need to prove myself. So I want to prove to you that I'm capable, that I'm hardworking, and that uh, that brings me, that, that I have value in that. And so, um, yes, that's people-pleasing, but it's also just, this assurance that you understand I'm up for the task. Now, when that's when I'm healthy, it means that I'm you know we'll we'll roll up our sleeves and get to work and we'll you know hopefully serve together. But when it's unhealthy, it's I, I'm going to make sure you know this. I mean, I, I can tell you this: when I was just starting out, I went to uh, went to college here in Texas, and there were people that said, "Well, what do you want to do for a living?" And I said, "I, I honestly, I want to." I want to play music. <laughs> I don't know how you make a living in that. Uh, I'll lead worship and be a songwriter. And I remember just the people because of people's reactions to that. Like, yeah, but what? Like, what? What about? Like, what are you going to do after that? You know, like, what's the real job part of that? <laughs> Which yeah. is actually a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in today's rapidly changing music. Oh culture. yeah, it's a great oh, question. Goodness. I actually have an 18 year old about to go to college. He wants to be a musician. So I'm now I'm in the I'm in that seat. But what you know what that honestly with I mean I still twenty that's twenty plus years ago I still look back at that and go I'm approved to you, so call me you know because that's that's my in my insecurity that's how that gets fleshed out. Oh, that's a great answer. Right, we're going to shift tack just for uh, one question. Where have you seen anxiety be contagious in a group? Right or wrong, I want to be the person in that group. And again, this this is probably a control. I mean, it's probably a control. Like I want to be the person in the group that steers us away from anxiety. So in, in my family, there are a few that might you know, tend towards being anxious and, 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 and on a continual basis. I want to I steer us away from that because I don't feel like, at least outwardly, that's my instinct. So if I'm involved, I tend to, and again, I, I'm just processing, this is good stuff, man. This is good stuff. Gauntlet is the right word for this. Yeah, yeah, you're going to need a nap. Yeah, I'm going to need a nap. But I tend to want to override the anxiety. So like when I walk into a a group setting, I hear it said all the time, we tend to size the group up and see if I'm the most powerful. I think, yes, I, I, I fall victim to that. Yeah. I also, though, and I think it's the same, I don't think it's always from a healthy place, by the way. So I think when I walk into a room, I also want to see who might be the most uncomfortable yeah. or the most anxious 
And I want to put them at ease. I want to engage them in a way. And again, I don't think that's because I'm a, a nicer person. <laughs> I think it's I think it's because I want to actually have my arms around the group of people. So I'm like that, uh, and I am an extrovert, and so I'm like that in a small group or a large group setting. Um, and I don't know if that's good or bad. Oh, I think <laughs> it's a wonderful answer. Plus, it suddenly makes sense of why you're so sensitive about your dog's tail. You know, dogs always size each other up by the size of their tail. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Well, I did have somebody say, that's not an Australian Shepherd. Look at that tail. I'm like, it's, it's just half. I don't even know the other half, all right? Yeah. It, we bought it. It was, a, it was a rescue. Yeah, what do you want from me? What do you yeah, want? That's it's, right. Look at the dog. It's cute. All right, two more questions. Uh, it's, I think some, some sources of chronic anxiety, it's a simple issue of input and output. And particularly if you're on a church staff, I think one of the biggest challenges is we can often relate to God more as God's employee than God's child. And it's, it's hard, right, for us. When, when we think of gifts, we naturally think of spiritual gifts. These is what, this is what God has given me to give to others. But I'm interested in de-escalating anxiety by receiving the gifts of God. What has God given me as a beloved child? Jesus said, our Father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children. So the last two questions are in that vein. Uh, just give us a geographical location or an activity that just makes you feel fully human and alive, makes you feel like a kid again. Oh my goodness. This is, this is, this is so fun. I mean, this, this is probably not an answer you've gotten before. Excellent. (laughs) But, uh, so if it's your dog's tail, I'm shutting down the interview. Yeah, no, my dog's tail. No, no, no. So no, my kids are at the age. Um, most of them are teenagers and, I know to a lot of people that sounds kind of scary, <laughs> and, and on certain days it definitely is scary. But for the most part, it's really, really fun because, um, and by the way, you know, one of the, some of the best advice I ever got as a dad was from my friend Chad, and he just said, find out what your kids are passionate about and engage in that with them. You know, God's given them, uh, give them the space and, the, and, the, and, and, and some room to really pursue some things they're passionate about. And then engage in that with them. Don't try to pull them to your to your passion. So, you know, if all I want to do is fish and my kids hate to fish, well, you know what? I may have to not fish as much. So my point is, um, I love. I mean, I love engaging with my kids in the things they love. I have an eighth grader. By the way, I have a senior in high school who's a musician. That's a pretty easy engagement, right? So that one's that one's easy. Um, we have, I have an eighth grader who is a basketball player and I get to be one of his basketball coaches. And I just tell you this right now, like I would quit everything I do if that was a job. Nobody's going to pay me to, to coach eighth grade basketball, but I love eighth grade basketball. I feel like a kid again to your question. And uh, there is no other place on the planet that I'd want to be than hanging out with Ezra who loves basketball, and um, and so definitely feel like a kid again um, coaching him. Now, um, I am coaching other 7th and 8th grade boys, and not always does that make me feel like a kid. I'm, sometimes I'm pulling my hair out, what's left of it, and so it's not always, <laughs> it's not always vacation. Yeah. Uh, but I really do love that. Oh, that's a great answer. Uh, the final question, you know, uh, John says that perfect love casts out all fear. 
and and my theology of anxiety says that that the love of God can displace when we're anxious. I think it's incredibly beautiful. So uh, that leads me to the final question, Robbie: When in your life do you feel most fully loved? Well, I am a father, and um, I, it, it may just that you may just be catching me like in a sentimental season of life. But I also spent a lot of years, um, I was traveling a lot, and so uh, always engaged with my kids, no doubt about it, but I'm just much more aware because I have less time with them before they, you know, hightail it out of this house. I just, I'm just more aware of, of time spent with them, and so, yeah. um, you know, I, I am most loved and I'll just even phrase it like this I mean the scriptures say that the, the nearness of God is his kindness to us and I just feel most near to God with my um, amazing wife and my kiddos now I don't want to I don't say that in some weird way to like go my life is so great and my, our family has everything figured out my family's like your family and my family's like anybody who will listen to this I mean <laughs> there is really great days and really lousy days but yeah. I, I just there's nowhere I'm going to go or, or, or somewhere that I might be or an activity that I might do that is greater than that. It's just not. And, and the one, I'll just say this, and I know I mentioned my kids, but with Liz, you know, that relationship between man and wife, it is the earthly reflection of the greatest love that we can know. It gives us a glimpse of the love of Christ for his bride. And so, um, does that always mean marriage is easy and great? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But that is the place that I feel most loved and I feel his nearness to me because the scripture says it actually paints the picture. He says, you know, Paul says, it's a mystery, by the way. It's a mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. And so, um, that's where I should feel most love, and I do, especially now. And again, you may have caught me in a season of life where I just go, nowhere I'd rather be. Um, this is where I, I feel I feel most loved. Well, I tell you this, I'm glad we've caught you in this season. It's it's beautiful to hear it. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, and absolutely. Robbie, thanks for coming on the show. Steve, thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. For more resources, visit stevecusswords.com or missyouralliance.org.